There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. That's me, brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Dean Lonigan. With my current fat guts, I need to stay off the milk. I love milk. It would be my favorite drink. If I wanted to, I could drink four and five liters a day easily. But I choose not to because it's not good for me. Dean Lonigan was a Kiwi rugby league player in the late 1980s and early 90s. He is reluctantly most remembered for a sickening head clash where he was knocked out cold and left convulsing on the field. Dean Lonigan really heavily concussed. He's in a bad way. Before returning to play on six minutes later. Well, the word is from Dean Lonergan himself. He actually wants to go back out. Since retiring from sport, he had a very successful career in breakfast radio at Radio Hauraki before reinventing himself once again and becoming one of New Zealand's most well-known sports promoters, amongst other things, introducing the Fight for Life concept to New Zealand. His life story is one hell of a ride with some huge highs and some very deep lows, and we cover all of them in this conversation. Dean is a great Kiwi, he's a brilliant storyteller, he is the definition of a salt of the earth guy, and he's a mate of mine. So even if you don't know the name, I reckon give the first five minutes a listen and I think you'll be hooked after that. Massive thanks needs to go to Radix Nutrition who have made this episode possible. I swear by their protein and smoothie powders, but they do so much more than that, so please check them out, radixnutrition.co.nz, that's R-A-D-I-X, and if you like what you see... Please support the legends who support the podcast. All right, let's get into it. Dean Lonigan on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hey, Runners Only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey and Dean Lonergan. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming over. No problems. It's fair to say, haven't done too much running of late. You're looking like a Scandinavian racing sardine, <laughs> and I'm looking like a fairly bloated humpback whale, maybe. <laughs> oh, you're being too hard on yourself. What is... Um, First of all, thanks for coming over. I had, yep. had uh, I told some people you were coming over, and they said, "Oh, what's he selling or what's he promoting?" <laughs> I said, "No, nothing. He just agreed to agreed to come over." Is that a reputation you have? Oh, I'm assuming it <laughs> is. I'm, you know, by nature, I, I think I'm a salesman, and we I sell stuff for a living. It's what I've been doing for the last sort of thirty or forty years. And uh, at the moment, we're in the business of selling boxing, and we're, we're, we're re-establishing ourselves back here in New Zealand. We've got some stuff coming up, but I'll talk about anything you want to talk about, Dom. This yeah. is your. Uh, you asked me over, I have no idea what the agenda is, so we'll just roll with it. Well, there's no, there's no agenda. This is just um, basically to unpack your fascinating life. I've always found you a fascinating dude. I promise well, you it's not that fascinating, especially when you sit in the middle of it. <laughs> so, um, first of all, yeah, the podcast is called Runners Only. What, what is your relationship with running? Do you run at all? Not anymore. But once, you, you... once upon a time, obviously, uh, when I was a young fellow, I uh, aspired to be a professional football player, which I sort of managed to achieve on a semi-professional basis. And 
uh, used to do quite a bit of obviously training, like sh- predominantly short stuff. But uh, you know, with the benefit of time and, and looking at the times when I achieved the most I did in, in sport, uh, the longer distance was definitely the way to go to get a base. And the sport that we participate in now in boxing, we don't participate, but we organise. Uh, all boxers, if you want to be good, they have to get out and do the miles on the road in the morning, five, six miles or whatever that equates to in Ks, gives them a good base, running for 45 minutes to half hour, mm. sorry, 45 minutes to an hour, and uh, that, that, that provides a base for what they do, but yes, yeah, certainly a long time ago I used to do it. I get out and I walk, you know, and I've, I've got to get out and move more and walk more, I'm probably about 20 kilos overweight, so I've got 20 to lose, so I'm working on it. The, so the distance you were talking about, that's probably the best part of like 10Ks, and uh, I, I know like Tyson Fury and Joe Parker, those guys do that most mornings and David Nikau who is in Australia in a similar location to where you've been he's um he's a demon isn't he, he runs super he, fast he's an outstanding athlete you just got to get his shirt off to see what a, <laughs> what a, what a beast he is and he's, he's cut he's very much in the uh he's, he could be a male model quite easily yeah ridiculously um, good looking and what I can't believe I think he's about six foot three six foot four and he fights a cruiserweight, which is about 91 and a half kilos. How he gets down to that weight is beyond me because he is all muscle. Mm. So I can only imagine he's got fairly light bones for God knows what reason. And he must have reasonably skinny legs because he's just, he's, he's built like a brick shithouse up top. So, uh, and he is an exceptional boxer. Uh, he's going to be a great New Zealand talent. Yeah, phenomenal. And you, you, you're back in New Zealand because the, the fight for life's coming back? Oh, at some stage, I'm yeah. sure we'll be announcing that. But we come back here, uh, we had a contract, Liam and my son, we run a company called DNL Events, which stands for Dean and Liam. (laughs) It's very clever. It is very clever. I never would have guessed it. Short and to the point. (laughs) Um, And I tell you what, when people are taking down your email addresses, you have to spell it out to them letter by letter by letter, because it's actually not that easy, strangely enough. And it looks like Dandel Events, but it's not. But... um, we had a contract with Fox Sports, I think, for seven and a half, eight years, and unfortunately that uh, come to a conclusion December 31. And uh, so we've still got a stable of fantastic New Zealand boxers, uh, and Andre Mikhailovich is, is one who's a middleweight. He's probably the greatest middleweight prospect this country's ever seen. We've got Jerome Pampalone, and they're both world-rated guys, and we're looking to do a deal and maybe put some stuff on with a young lady called Miyamoto, who is quite sensational. She uh, She's capable of fighting for a world title. So we've got some really great New Zealand talent, mm-hmm. and we've currently got the only male world champion in Australia, a guy called Jaya Pattaya. Jaya is without doubt the toughest man I've seen in my entire life, and I I would say he's probably the toughest combat sports sports athlete on the planet. He fought in a world title uh, July 2 last year on the Gold Coast and he fought the number one guy in the division a guy called Maris Bredis. He broke his jaw. Jai broke his jaw in the first two rounds of the fight so he had to fight 10 rounds with a broken jaw but then and I was right ringside when I saw this he broke it on the second side um, in round 10 so his whole jaw for two rounds was literally flopping around in the breeze. And I, I Jeez, saw him, can you imagine the intense oh, agony every time you get even a light graze he, on that? He, he couldn't talk afterwards. He was just in immense pain. But to be able to still walk forward like he was, taking shots on the chin, biting down on his jaw, and it was just flopping. He said it was like biting into a mouthful of marbles, and I, he, he, he couldn't hold the jaw together, but he still kept fighting. I'd, I'd, um, like God, I'd be so mad at my corner for not throwing the towel on. Well, well, I think I'd go over there and grab that towel myself. And to be fair, Jai, <laughs> Jai would have been gutted if they did that. Because his, his goers, mate, he, this is what he does for a living. He's always wanted to be world champion. He got his chance. And he is the greatest advocate for um, 
how do you get over pain and adversity? This is a guy who had a broken hand for five years. So he's a southpaw, and his left hand's his power weapon. He couldn't fully land that because it was broken for five years, and he kept fighting and didn't tell anyone because he needed the money. This is a guy who probably started boxing age eight or ten, um, went to the Olympics, was selected for the Olympics for Australia when he was 16, fought when he was 17, one of the youngest boxers to ever go to the Olympics. Um, got his chance at a world title and nothing was going to take that chance away from him, no matter what, broken jaw. He actually broke his ribs a month before the fight. And uh, rib injuries, I don't know if you've ever had them, Don, but... Oh, it's a oh, fractured one. It's excruciating. They are excruciating. Well, he it not only broke, it separated, crossed over another rib, and ripped all the rib cartilage off. And rib cartilages are the most painful injury you can ever have. And normally these things will take two, three months minimum. He was fighting six weeks later. He did the injury on a Thursday, had surgery on a, on a Sunday, and about a week and a half later was back in nearly full training. <laughs> His tolerance of pain is through the roof, and I can't... Everything you see on Conor McGregor on the outside and how angry and tough he looks, that's what Jai's got on the inside. Mm. And... Uh, Watch out for him. He's something very, very special. Okay. I've never seen anything like him, and uh, Liam and myself think he's going to be something special. Okay, now, um, right, enough about other people. Let's talk about you, Dean Lonergan. Hmm. So you um, so you, you, you became famous, like, in the, the late 1980s, uh, early 90s, playing um, for the Kiwi League team. Wouldn't quite I, say famous, but I was, inter- I was, oh, I was no, involved no, no. in... Uh, Involved in back then, there was no social media. There was no fragmentation of media. There, I think there were only probably three or four TV channels going at the time. And uh, the Kiwis played Australia, I think, in nineteen ninety one at Mel in Melbourne. We hadn't won against the Aussies for a long, long time. And uh, they had one of the all time great teams that had the likes of Steve Roach, I think, Wally Lewis, and a number of other really high profile players. And in ninety one, we went over there with a very unheralded young underdog side. Uh, I was part of that along with. Clayton Friend and Gary Freeman and Peter Brown and a whole lot of other guys and we managed to pull off a win and uh, at the time I got knocked out probably 10-15 minutes into the game I uh, was very oh, is this the one? Is this the one where you um, where you were like convulsing on the field? Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, and so it was like a, a concussion, a head knock. Yeah, it, right. it very much was. We um, it might still be on YouTube if anyone wants it, to look it, it up it, but it's, it's sickening, right? Well, it's not great. But we, the, the, I was very, very keen to put a big shot on Roach because we'd played Stevie Roach and we played Belmain early in the new year or early in the preseason. Uh, Auckland Rugby League played Belmain, and I knew Roach was going to be in the side, so we had a bit of a fracas in that game. And I was very keen to put a big hit on him early on and you know try and intimidate him. It was the dumbest thing I could have done because I ended up getting knocked out. He ended up with about twenty stitches in his head. I got knocked out and convulsed on the field. I got carried off and came back on a little bit later. Yeah, and that, that was sort of the incident that blew us up, and then I got a job on Radio Haraki after that. Right, wait, 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 wait. Was... You, you are moving way too fast. Like oh. this, uh, we we need to digest this somewhat. Like the podcast will be over in four minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, so you get knocked out. It's sickening. Um, I feel like this was a, a golden era for league, and it was a time where yeah, fights were still sort of encouraged, and you know, if you squirted some water on your head and came back on the field, you were considered like, like heroic in a way. That wasn't the reason behind it. Right. Pretty much as I was being dragged off, I could see George Mann, who I'd played with in the Auckland team and I'd played against him in quite a few club competitions. George was warming up and I just thought, man, I've fought too hard for you to have this spot, George. (laughs) So 
as soon as I regained my, George ran on, and as soon as I regained my stuff, I said to Bob, I don't, Bob Bailey, who was the coach, I said, mate, I'm ready to go back on. That was 10 or 15 minutes later. So he threw me back on, and I've only, I've watched the game once, and I know when oh, I, when hey, I how, do you, how do you feel when you watch it? Oh, I, it's like somebody watching somebody else. Is it? I don't really think about yeah. it. But I know when I come back on, I'm staggering all over the place. <laughs> but we managed to get through the first. I don't remember much about the first half. We got we got through the game and we won the game. And what's really interesting, right, is that you don't know what people are going to come into your life as a result of things like that. And Liam and myself have been working in Australia for the last seven years. And the commentator who called that game was a guy called Pat Walsh. And Pat. Uh, had gone on to be quite instrumental in uh, in Channel 7 in Brisbane and massive media contacts. So Pat has been incredibly... He remembered the game. He remembered me from that game. Pat Walsh has been... He's only just retired. Incredibly helpful to, for us in terms of connections all around Australia, you know. So it's just... Mm. And those sort of connections, they last for a very, very long mm. time. So, yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting where, where things end up and what you end up doing. How many other times were you concussed? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Right. I, Are you right now? Yeah, I think so. My memory's not as good as it could be, but then again, most people... Well, you're in your late 50s, so that's... Yeah, well, I'm 57, you know, so... Right. But, you know, you look at guys overseas, in Australia in particular, and they've all got the fading memories, like I think the Ray Price has got some issues, I think Steve Mortimer's got some issues. Did you Mario just dodge a, dodge a bullet, do you think? Well, I finished quite young, so that... The, the the game that I got knocked out and I played one more test match after that and I might have had another five or six games after that then I finished up so I was only 26 when I finished rugby league and then I was lucky enough you know I didn't think much of it at the time but I was lucky enough to get a job on Radio Haraki mm. and I got to tell you Dom you did 25 years plus on radio yeah, yeah. there is no doubt that in my opinion of all the media of anything you can do radio is the greatest job mm. because you know I, I, I wouldn't have done I never took it as seriously as you did as your career right and it was something I just stumbled into and just got lucky but um, I got a job on Radio Harrick I used to do six to nine I'd turn up at five to six and I'd leave at nine o'clock and yeah, we so were you paid were, pretty you, good money you were part of a, a very successful show called The Morning Pirates with um, yeah. was it Mark Perry and Leah Parnapa Mark Perry and yeah, Leah yeah, yeah. we yeah. took um, what happened was they what sort of music was it a rock station uh, then or were you still classic, yeah, classic rock, rock to the cutting edge and made it we Harrogate at one stage it was very very popular in Auckland way back before the days of the fragmentation you've mm. got now and, and you're all up and down the country and it was very very popular so how how did that um how did that career come about like were you just quite Luck. were you were you quite charismatic at after match speeches and stuff or you had a nah. natural flair for Nah, I think what happened was uh, I'd been on this show a couple of times because you had Phil Gifford and um, I can't remember the other girl's name and Mark Perry was on the show. And then I'd been in the studio a couple of times because I was one of the local rugby league players and I, when I got knocked out, obviously there was a bit of, I was quite high profile and I, yeah, I was in the media a lot for a very short space of time. But uh, I ended up being quite good mates with some some of the radio guys, Dan Boyle, who was in there, and Mike Regal, who was a program director, and when um, for whatever reason, I think More FM come and poached Phil Gifford and I think it was Kathy at the time, and they took them down to Christchurch. So that's when Phil left. So all of a sudden there was a space. So they got me in for a few days to cover. A few days turned to a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks turned to a couple of months, and then a couple of months turned to I think I did seven years. So it was just luck. Amazing. You know? I feel like you get bored of things too. So seven years for you is a long time. Um, you know what? I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, radio is yeah. a lot of fun. And yeah. do I get bored with stuff? Some Maybe. I don't know. But I did enjoy radio, and it's a great medium to be part of. And mm. I'll tell you the perfect place to do radio 
would be Sydney, London, or New York, where they get paid millions to do what oh, they yeah, do. Economies of scale. Because yeah. it's the world's easiest job. And I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of people aspire to it. And, and, and they should do, and a lot of people who are in there for their careers get all nervous about it, and they do a lot of work, and that's fantastic. But I can only tell you how my experience, and compared to bloody working 12-hour shifts at Coca-Cola, driving forklifts and packing loads, or being an offsider on trucks delivering Coca-Cola, you know, and then I was also, I used to be a cleaner. So I used to run three jobs. Well, yeah. yeah, I used to run three jobs. So when I first left school, I went, what you'd call to be an offsider on trucks. So you, you help people deliver soft drinks, right? Then I'd finish that and I'd come home and I'd do, I was a cleaner at a school, at my school I used to work at, sorry, I used to go to school at. And then after that, I would be at rugby league. So effectively, I had three jobs because I was getting paid for all three of them. So, yeah, so was it the money any good in rugby league at that time? Yeah, I was right. Yeah. You know, like. So are these jobs sort of like before you all, were a professional player? Yeah. Like we were getting paid to play rugby league, and it's all relevant, right? Back then, I remember I brought my first house as an investment. It was like seventy-five grand. Well, when I, at the time I might have been making fifty or sixty grand a year mm. before tax, you know. So wow. it's yeah, very, yeah. very easy to get into these things. And when I was a young fella, maybe twenty-one, twenty-two, I remember having two or three houses, you know. So um, it was a, a lot. There's no doubt it was a lot easier back then compared to what you've mm. seen now, when average house prices are up over. Well, they're now coming back. But yeah, so and the opportunity to buy in was a lot easier. Unfortunately, you know, I was going to keep these houses and have ten or twenty by the time I'm fifty-seven. <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, because I, I remember um, just when I sort of left school and started in radio. This would have been like nineteen ninety, I guess, early nineties. I'd come up to Auckland and stay with my friend Robert Scott, who's on the breeze now. And because uh, you guys are on two XS together, yeah, right? And that must North. have been a great place to work because I've, I'm uh, on social media. It's one of the great things about Facebook. Facebook friends with a few people, and I always see this two XS stuff come up, and people say what a great time it was down in the Manor with two and Palmerston. Yeah, North. yeah, it was, a, it was a breeding ground for like really quite good radio talent for some reason. But yeah, I'd, I'd come up and stay with Robert, and he lived in Sarsfield Street, and he'd point out your house. Really? And I don't know if you were playing league at the time or maybe just started in radio, but it's like one of the most expensive streets in Auckland now. That house Sarsfield. is probably worth seven or eight mil. It probably is, and I wish I had kept the bloody thing. But yes, I was in Sarsfield Street. We were right down the bottom of it, and it was a lovely, it was an amazing neighbourhood. Yeah. But like I said, it was a lot easier to get back, get in it back then yeah, than what it yeah. is now. And I think, yeah, I paid about a half a million bucks for that place, whereas now it's like whatever it's worth. And at the time, it was a real stretch for me, and mm. you know, and I was really, I was being a wanker to be honest, because we used to live in a place called Wanganui Ave, which is on the other side of uh, Hearn Bay, and I love Hearn, I love Wanganui Ave, but that was sort of the southern slopes, and all the knobs were on the other side of the, uh, the northern <laughs> slopes. And in my stupidity as a young fellow, I thought it was cool to be with all the knobs, but you know, I should have stayed where we were. It was a lot, a lot less to get in there yeah. and make great place to live. So this, this is the... We're talking U- Ponsonby, Hearn Bay. Yeah, yeah Hearn Bay, Freeman's Bay. So it was actually yeah. so close to where we are now in the yeah. podcast space. Were you, were you married at the time? Have no. you ever been married? No. So, you, so you, you're um, a father of one, Liam. And one, yes. one thing that strikes me about you from my relationship with you is just how much your relationship with your son means to you. And I'm talking way back yeah. when you used to work in the same building as me and you'd come in and Liam was a young fella at the time and you'd always give him a shout out on the air <laughs> using his middle names, the whole lot. That's yes. I've got a mate of mine, Leo. I got Leo Malloy, who's run for the mayor of Auckland. Always calls him LRD, which is Liam Robert Daniel. Right, which is right. I always called him uh, Liam Robert Daniel on here. So yeah, no, it's you know, we got perfection on the first go. There's no need to have any more. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so Liam's mum and your ex, her name is Julie. Julie, it is. Yeah. So yeah. you were never married. No, we didn't yeah. marry, but we're still really good friends. Yeah. You know, she's been a, an amazing mum, and you know, she's a good friend of mine. And I get she's married now, and I get on very, very well with her husband. So yeah, it's been a mm. while. It's not never ideal. It's been as good as it could be. I think. When did you when did you break up? Like when Liam was oh, quite yeah, young. Yeah, Liam was only young fellow, right. maybe one. What happened? You want to talk about oh, it? No, or? not particularly. Really? It's not a period that I'm proud of. Oh. I made a complete dick of myself on a number of occasions. Yes. Uh, infidelity or? Yes. But so, there's a lot of water under the bridge. Oh, it, the answer is you're right. If I, had a... my char- if I had my time again, you'd do things way differently. So, yeah, it's not it's not a proud pe- period right. of my life. Was she, she forgiven you, though? Oh, yeah. You need to forgive yourself. Oh, I probably have. I just don't yeah. really want to talk about right, it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you were famous at the time. You, know, you were young. You were successful. I suppose there was a lot of... I'm not know. excusing your behaviour, but there was a lot of temptation. It's really interesting you say famous, right? I don't care what anyone says. You can't be famous in New Zealand. There's five million people live here. You might... A whole lot of people might recognise you when you go past. These are, Tom Cruise has got real fame. Yeah, and yeah, it's true yeah. when you look at the likes of the Brad Pitts and the Chris Rocks and the, the Rock and all these different Arnold Schwarzenegger, they're really mm. famous. That's real fame. Yeah, The stuff we have down here is just a few people recognise you on the way through and annoy the shit out of you when you go out and you might have, <laughs> you might have a drink when you go out. No, yeah. well, I actually don't drink. Oh, milk, milk and water is my drink of choice. Yeah, actually, I, I, I do want to get to that. Well, by the way, I got you a drink if you want to. I got <laughs> you a milk. I'm actually, would you believe this? With my current fat guts, I need to stay off the milk. I love milk. It would be my favourite drink. <laughs> if I wanted to, I could drink four and five litres a day easily. <laughs> but I choose not to because it's not good for me. Yeah, you know, I went to see a, like, a nutritionist years ago and she was like, well, you need to cut your coffee out. You know, milk is used to fatten babies. Well, correct. And it's not only milk is used. We use another species milk in <laughs> cows to feed yeah. us. I don't know that it's overly healthy, but I do love the stuff. But, uh, yeah, certain, that's one thing that struck me about you always. Like, if you're out at a bar with you, you'll have, like, a pint of milk. And it's like, you're the, probably the only person I know over the age of eight that drinks milk <laughs> as, a, like, a recreational drink. It's a very bizarre sight. It's like well, a big unit, like now you're I, sitting there with the milk. We've actually, I, the, the, the late, great Phil Kingsley-Jones, I went to Wales with him and we were searching for people to fight in one of our Fight for Life's one year. And, we've, and Phil was a great guy, a, just an amazing character. Yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, Jonah Lomu's manager. Yeah, he was, was Jonah yeah. but he was way more than just that. He yeah. was a personality in his own right. And he's a great speaker yeah. and had great jokes. But we went up to the uh, the valleys of, of Wales, which is and that's the coal mining area and I've got to tell you I've never seen so many rough hardcore women in all my life and they all <laughs> knew and loved Phil and wanted the piece of his ass back then but um, yes and he could not believe I'd send him to the bar and he'd have to order pints of milk <laughs> yeah so um, why have you never been married do you think are you, are you, sorry just going back to that are you better on your own or you just never found the right person or you're just busy focused on career stuff it's a really interesting have you been married yeah I'm, well I'm still legally married to JJ but we broke up about five years ago yeah look I've had some significant relationships but haven't quite got around to doing the marrying thing and you know I as you get older in life I think you can reflect on a whole lot of things and you go you know what maybe I was the problem <laughs> As opposed to them. So as you get on in life, you go, uh, 
yeah, it's not. Uh, and look, I I live in an amazing situation at the moment, which I can't believe I'm in, but I'm there, and I really enjoy it. You know, it's very cool. What is it? What's the situation? I live with my. <laughs> I live with my mum and my sister, and I absolutely love it. I'm telling you, because <laughs> right. I've been transient for the last, or Liam and myself in particular, been transient for the last bloody, um, the last probably five or six years between here and Australia. You know, we I had an apartment over in Brisbane for quite some time, and then uh, we moved sort of down to the Gold Coast, and we come and we become a little bit transient. And one of the things I, I hate in life, I just hate it, is moving house. It is one of my Oh, pet, it is the worst. It is one of my pet hates. And I have been a transient for 30, 40 mm. years. So, uh, you That's know. No, how old's your mum now? You're in your late 50s. What's she? My mum's 77. That's nice. And your dad's still alive as well? Yeah, yeah, shit, your nice. dad's 79. Dad's, yeah, cool. dad, dad's, in, they're both incredibly fit and healthy. Like, all of mum's... Um, brothers and sisters one brother died young but they all lived to a ripe old age you know the older sister got to 92 i think Mm. and uh so i expect mum's got a few more uh uh miles left on the tires yet and dad's dad still he lives on waikiki island trains three times a week and very very strong still and looks a lot like you to be honest fitness wise so yeah, he does a lot of weight training and and exercising in the gym, and he's been doing it for twenty twenty five years. And Dad's committed, no matter what happens, to get into a hundred. So you know, which is it's a pretty good goal to have. Yeah, that's a great goal. So wow, is it? A, that's a, it seems like a weird dynamic living with your. So your sister's a similar age in her fifties. My sister is. Uh, she's four years younger than me. She's fifty three, and my mother's. <laughs> they brought a house together going back probably twenty years ago. And then they sold that house and they brought a really, really big house. So we live in a big house. It's like three stories high. And I sort of have commandeered the middle level. Mum has the bottom level and my sister has the top level. Okay, so you're not all three of you sitting on the sofa. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a, It's a big house. <laughs> sitting and here with your pint of milk. I've, I've got to get the situation sorted out. I can promise you that. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I've got some land up in Taupaki that I need to um, – I need to get a house on at some stage, but yeah. uh, you know. I, I, I just feel like you're not a not overly materialistic. Were, were you materialistic before oh, you lost your fortune? Man, that's that's such that's a big understatement. I was very very committed to when I was a young fella, man. I was going to be done and dusted by thirty or forty. You know, I retired. Yeah, retired and doing nothing and made my yeah. millions. And you know, unfortunately, I've had ups and downs. Yeah, you, you have. You have. Now, yeah, I want to get into this. So, yeah, you have your radio career, which is very successful. Then you get never out of that. Made, never, we had a great time, but never made huge money out of it. Got right. paid okay, yeah, but and enjoyed it immensely. But never like the you were rumored at one stage to be on three hundred thousand plus a year, which is brilliant money. Oh yeah, 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 a bit more than, a bit more than that, especially if you get the KPIs. There you go. Um, that, which is if you're doing radio and a three hour shift, and I know you probably prepped a lot more, and you turn yeah, up I took it four, way too seriously. In you hindsight. turn you, you you turn up at four, and you go, you know, then you're prepping afterwards. Mm. You got to do that if you're going to be paid the big money. Yeah. Um, but you also got to enjoy it along the way. And I got to tell you, some of the people I got to de- to, to to work with, like. The absolute highlights, like Leah Parnipa, um, she's still a great mate. We went out to lunch just recently. Nathan Rarui, I was very lucky to be on air with. Nathan. Nathan's real strength on radio, and this is very rare, yeah. his real strength was the same guy turned up every single day and was pleasant and was a nice guy, and he's just such a good guy to deal Ooh. with. And you would know this, Dom, yeah. over the years. 
you want consistency, whereas, you know, some people in radio, they come up, they might have different things that are happening in their lives and they're all over the place, which it happens because they're creative, talented people. Mm. And, uh, mate, he was, uh, Nathan was amazing. You know? yeah. And we got, luckily, got to talk with Ian Smith as well, who I think is one of the all-time great cricket commentators known anywhere in the world. His commentaries over the years have been nothing short of stunning, and I, I'm saddened to see he's not working with Sky anymore. Yeah, now that show that you're talking about, that's when I got to meet you. So you, you, um, you, you, you lost all your money with the circus thing. Yeah. Right? So you got back into radio because you needed to come. Some dumb shit. No, we, in my we're life. gonna we'll backtrack and we'll get into that. But when you were working with um, Nathan and Smithy, I, I remember this clearly. We we're in the same building, and it was um, all the radio stations faced this internal courtyard. And you'd be, I don't know how many voice breaks you did on air, but you were wandering around the courtyard <laughs> on your phone all fucking morning. <laughs> and then Nathan would tell me stories that um, I think you were contracted to work to 8.30 or 9am. And he said, 9am on the dot, you'd be in the middle of an interview or something. And Dino would just give him the thumbs up like, I'm going to go now. And then take the headphones off and sort of tiptoe out. <laughs> oh, that was more out of necessity. So okay, so you 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 leave Radio Hauraki. Is that when you start the fight for life? Is that when you bring the fight for um, life, like corporate boxing, to New Zealand? Feels like it's such a big thing now. Even the non televised time ago, yeah. Like I think around, I finished rugby league at probably twenty six, and I pl- had played at the Canberra Raiders. I got a phone call out of the blue from Tim Sheen. Says, "Look, we'd love to bring a, the Canberra Raiders over to play in a local game." And I says, "Yeah, that'll be fine." So. I did a joint venture with Radio Haraki, who I was working with at the time. This was sort of the start of my entrepreneurial career. I'd only been out of rugby league for about a year, maybe less. Mm. And um, we put this game on, Auckland versus... This is way before the Warriors. This is like 1991. So we put this game on, Auckland versus uh, the Canberra Raiders, and they were the hottest thing at the time. You know, you had Mel Meninga, you had uh, Laurie Daly, Bradley Clyde. You had at least 10 to 15 bloody... um, People who played for Australia or New Zealand or you know state of origin. It was a big, big. Mm-hmm. So it was a big. And we sold the thing out and made it. We made a couple of hundred grand. And I took a hundred, and Harrogate took a hundred. And I thought at the time, geez, this is better than playing footy. So <laughs> that's what we concentrated on doing for the next sort of two or three years. And then I got tied up. Kevin Barry came up to me and said, "Look, I've got this really hot young heavyweight, David Tua. I don't know much about promotion. Do you want to help out?" So we, I helped him put on the first David Tua fight. And uh, just things spiralled from there, and eventually we got to a thing called Fight for Life. And what had happened with that, a friend of mine who used to work, I think, in a media works called Peter Spear, he's a sales rep in there, and he's a good mate of mine, and his house had burnt down and he had no insurance. So we put together a little fight night. There was I fought on it, Spiro fought on it, my mate Mark Bourneville fought on it, and we got a few mates together, and we, we, we raised some money for him to give him some money for his house, and we raised about 50 grand. And, mate, it was like walking on air. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I don't, drugs are not my go, but I can tell you if drugs make you feel as good as this, you'd be on them all the time because it was just a real highlight. Mm. And it was just to do something for a bloke. Anyway, one thing leads to another, and there's a place called Yellow Ribbon. Marko Marinkovic was at that event, I think. And he said, Would you do that for us? I said, Yeah, sweet, but we've got to, we'll try and raise you a million bucks and we've got to get it on TV and we'll use rugby league players. He said, Sweet. So he gave me full license to do what we did. I, that first year, I did it for nothing. And uh, we raised about half a million bucks and we ended up with the number one rating show on TV3. And it just, yeah, just it spiraled from there. Yeah, so is that, is that how it started? So you were doing like league, league players fighting rugby players, that like a clash we, of the codes yeah, sort had, of thing? Yeah, the clash of the codes. And we had some real legends. We yeah, had, you know, for yeah. those of you who are old enough to remember, we had Mark Graham and Buck Shelford in there. I had uh, uh, um, 
Mark Bourneville, who the horse who went on to become really amazing and fight for life, and Stevie McDowell. We had Melman Inga fought with Kevin Borovich. So yeah, there was a, it was a big deal to us at the time, and it was a lot of fun to do it. So when did you when did you broaden it and get into a like other? Sort of mainstream we sort of celebrities started, or well, mainstream celebrities that just sort of continued on for quite some time, and then um, we turned into more of an entertainment event. You know, was well, that when you had like dwarfs and yeah? Well, <laughs> no, nah, that was sort of the second alliteration. Right. We, I used to bring in these really cool acts. You know, like we'd have motorbikes doing backflips right. over the boxing ring, and we'd have uh, we'd have guy you know motorcycle foot juggling acts coming in where. We had all these acts, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea if we took all these acts out of Fight for Life and put them into a circus? And that was probably the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. But you're you're like you're a risk taker, so you don't know it's a dumb thing God. until you got the benefit of hindsight. So the, you, so you took a big bath on this one, the circus. Yeah, we thing. dropped in one year. Uh, I'd done a number of things that wasn't that smart. So one, I put the circus on, and I lost about a million bucks on that. I'd brought, I'd, I'd sold off previously half my company to a couple of guys, and they were good guys. And I brought them out of the company, and I had some issues around tax. So I was about one point eight million dollars in debt, and I had no assets to back it, nothing. So, what happened to those houses we talked about? Well, earlier? you know, you sell things as you go, and you make mistakes, <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, get yeah, separated, yeah. and you make sure right. people are looked after, all that sort yeah. of stuff. So, you know, like I've made. If I could make make some changes in my life, it'd be the slow accumulation of assets, right? I got mates of mine who had very long term plans and they've done very, very well just out of slow accumulation. So that's my advice to all you risk takers out there. It's fantastic throwing it all into one and you know having a crack, but I suggest mm. you just out the back end, just accumulate those assets slowly. But um So you you mentioned um Leo Malloy before and I've had yeah. him on the podcast and we talked about he he ended up bankrupt for a time after he set up a bar called Cardiac. Yes, he did. And he reflected on the podcast on his mistakes, and he said he sort of threw everything that he knew about hospitality out the window with this. Yeah. Is that what happened to you? Do you think you got too big for your boots? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, you take you've your got your golden rules. Look, we hadn't. When we're doing fight for life, so I was putting more and more money into the entertainment side of it, and there was bugger all net profit coming back. It was just bigger and better events, you know, with bugger all net profit. And so we got to the end of it when we did this bloody massive circus, which lost a huge amount of money, and I got all the aspects of circus that you get right, I got them wrong. So if you're the dumbest thing you can do, if you're ever going to put on a circus, <laughs> the dumbest thing you can do is fly the best acts in from all around the world and only have them compete or you know do their stuff for a week, which is what we did in a, in a fixed outlet. And the reason why it's dumb is, firstly, their prices through the roof, and then you've got all the accommodation expenses, you've got all the bloody um, airfares coming in to be amortised over no more than sort of seven days. Smart circus acts, right? They have their own tents. They travel around the world or travel around the area, and you employ them for a long period of time. Their cost per day goes through the floor, so you don't have to sell as many tickets anyway. So I dropped a million on that. I was probably 1.8 in debt, and it took me four years to pay it off. There's no way I was going to go bankrupt because I knew if I did that, I was going to be all over the front pages of the paper. So I called my creditors in and said, Look, here's my problem. And I said to them, if you just hang tough with me, I'll get you paid. Then I turned around and I borrowed about half a million. It was about 550k off three different people. They gave me that. So I managed to work out a whole lot of 
non-risky events, right, that I could run. There was no risk I was going to make money. So what we would do is I got the half million in, I paid off as much of that, kept everyone happy, and then I just went on the slow ride of sort of selling the events, paying them off, selling the new events and paying off the old credits. And that's, that's when you and I got to meet and sort of become yeah. friends because you got back into radio. For yeah, well, the radio income. thing came up because I desperately needed the cash. Yeah. So I was working, I was, I was running a small business trying to make some money. I was working for an organisation trying to raise their money and I was also working on radio. So I basically had three jobs. So when you were uh, saw me on the phone, it's because I'm desperately trying to pay <laughs> off like- the bills. Mate, I can tell you this. I remember one day I'm on the North Shore and, mate, I couldn't pay my fucking phone bill, you know, and having your phone disconnected is <laughs> you ain't doing nothing. Mm. So they were they were hard times, but you know you have some good times along the way. I ended up, I went into moved into a flat with a good mate of mine called Grant Church, who I just love eternally. And we we ended, we were in this flat, or it was a house. Another mate of mine owned it. It was a three bedroom house, and I was in one bedroom, and he had the main bedroom, which had the uh, the ensuite, and it was really nice. And uh, it was a great victory to me when he moved out and I could afford to move into the main bedroom <laughs> for the simple fact like that was just to move forward, right. you know. Was that, like in hindsight looking back, was that period, um, like would you say that's the lowest period of your life? Man, it was How, stressful. Like, it's got to be, um, I mean, you, you can probably like look back with enough hindsight now to get a clearer picture of things, but to go from like being successful, like being a successful league player, successful broadcaster, successful promoter, having like all the money, all the assets and stuff, and then being yeah. down below zero, it was it's got to be fucking hard. It was stressful. Yeah. I reckon I was depressed for a year. Really? What did depression yeah. look like for you? Depression for me... Um, the only escape was sleep from the pressure. And, like, for the first year, I knew that if I got it wrong, I was going to be all over the news and for doing this and doing that, and I'm a low life. when all you'd done is made mistakes and tried your best. So the first year was the hardest, right? And when you get to the end of the first year, all of a sudden you realise, oh, I can actually do this and I'm going to get out. But when you talk about pressure, the second you wake up, you're stressed and you're thinking about what's going to go wrong and then you're anxious, right? And that feeling doesn't leave you and it doesn't leave you until you go to sleep. It's like going to bed with a wet blanket. And when you go to sleep, it disappears, but when you wake up, it comes back and it's just stress and it's horrible. So 12 months was probably like that and then it started to diminish after 12 months because you go... I can get out of this. Why, why did it start to diminish? Were you just because making headway? Because you're so, making headway. Yeah. Every time you paid off a bill or paid some money off, it's another it's another victory, you know. And all of a sudden, all the new ideas you're forced to have, they're working, you know. Like you're never going to get rich off them, but you sure as hell are going to pay your debts. Mm. So at the end of twelve months, I've gone right. This is a long, long tunnel, but we I can see the light at the end. And it took another three years after that. Mm. So did you do you see a therapist or anything in that time or no? You I not? don't think so. No, I might have, I might have, you know. And well, I, I, feel, I, I feel I read an article somewhere you were reading like a lot of self help books at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like th- this is a long time ago. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Know? Like so, you know, it's a long time ago. And we've you've, we've had all sorts of successes and failures and challenges since then. But having someone you could talk to is essential mm. because it's like a relieving a pressure. Yeah, who you did know? you have? 
Uh, like look, you? I always had my mates. Right. And they were great. You know, like Mark Bourneville and Mark Bedford and Mike Patton, mate Steve Cousins. You know, they were fantastic. But, you know, you also need to have other people. You, and it's, I would recommend therapists. I'm not, not big on psychiatry, but certainly from a – but if for some people that works for them, but mm. a psychologist – Someone you can go and have a release yeah. valve to. Also, I suppose no if, you, if, you, if you're 1.7 million in debt, spending 250 for an hour with a yeah. trained professional well, is probably a lot the... of people, that's jump change. But yeah. for me at the yeah. time, that was yeah. a huge amount of money, you know? So, uh, and it just took a long time to pay it back, mm. which was pretty shitty. I wouldn't want to go through it again. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mm. Why? I mean, it says a lot about your character, I think, like not just declaring bankruptcy. Why didn't, why didn't you just do that? That would have been the easiest well, thing to do, right? I guess my attitude is, is that if somebody supplies you a good or a service, right, you're, you, it's up to you to pay for it. Now, in that case, it just took a long time for some people to get their money. Mm. But they'd supplied me the goods and the services, so they have to be paid, you know. And and the alternative, you know, the alternative is you end up on the front page of the paper and fucking all sorts of others. But I've heard people have said that they've gone bankrupt and the stress and pain goes instantly. It was just not an option for me, that was all. Just a character thing to say. Well, I don't know if it's character because everyone – it was just – it was just not an option. Yeah. Because everyone approaches these things differently. You know, I've had friends have gone through similar circumstances and they did things differently, and that's fine as well. You know, and I think the most important thing you can do with people is just be upfront and mm. tell them the truth. Tom Hanks was sitting down there that I saw on social media is a wonderful thing. But there's this little sort of 30 second, one minute clip where he was sitting with some really famous guys, like it might be Robert De Niro and, 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 and Steven Spielberg and a few others. And he said, when I, was a, I wish someone had a told me when I was a young fella, this too shall pass. Mm. And what he was talking about is that you will have hard times in your life. This too shall pass. You will have amazing mm. highs in your life. This too shall pass. So you've, I think the lesson is try not to get too stressed because one way or another you're going to get out of it. You know, and um, don't take it all too yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's a good Try one. And enjoy it. You've you've had to learn these lessons the hard way, though. Ugh. And where does where where do you think this resilience comes from, or is it something that you've you've had to build by necessity over the years? Oh, I have no idea. I don't yeah. know. If it's resilience. It's just. Oh, I know it get, absolutely. You is. get you get you get faced with situations, and you just got to overcome them. And it's yeah. really it's, it's about the key thing is is just doing what's in front of you. 
just deal, tackle what's in front of you, oh. and then tackle it again the next day and the next day. And in the perfect world, you'll get to a point where there's, the challenges are overcome and you start to get to some gravy and have some fun. Yeah, you must be immensely proud of how you handled that whole situation, getting out of that hole looking back. Don't really think about really? it too much. No, yeah. no. Just glad <laughs> you I learned did. some good lessons, though. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no just, more to circuses. be fair, just glad I did it the way we did it, yeah. as opposed to take taking the option of not having to pay everyone. Yeah. You know? I think I read an article about you at the time and you were talking about that flat situation with that guy Church you're talking about and another guy called Mango? Yes. Mango and we what, used, what, what was the flat called? The, the, the flat of broken men or something. What was it? The House of Misunderstood Blokes. House <laughs> of Misunderstood Blokes. I used to write a bit of a blog. When, yes, so we, uh, <laughs> I had two guys in the flat with me. One was called Church, which is obviously – and Church was – when he was, we went to school together and played rugby together. And Church was and is an absolute rocket scientist. Like he was in six subject class at school. He used to do five subjects of school C. And I think he went to uh, he went he could have gone to university. He got great marks, but he ended up you know driving a a a, a, a roller called the space shuttle. He called it the Challenger space shuttle. You know, like those steamrollers. And uh, he is just he's just a great guy, and and a just just a really good guy, an amazing flatmate. And I wish we were still living with the church because he's such an amazing guy. But uh, we used to have this other guy called Mango, and he was called Mango because he used to ride motorbikes really fast, and everybody would say, look at that Mango. <laughs> so Mango. <laughs> oh, God, what a time. God, it sounds like... It sounds like some sort of sitcom, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> I ended up at some at one stage, uh, and my I can't remember because it, all the dates, you know, they yeah, get yeah, older, they all meld into one. But I used to write this blog, and my mum encourages me to to go back to writing a blog, and it used to be called the House of Misunderstood Blokes, and it was predominantly about the life of my mate Grant Churcher, who was the world's greatest drain layer. And we used to talk about his uh, how he'd go on dates, and you know, like I was chronicling his life. It was quite funny. But I've mm. said to my mum, "Well, if I do this again, mum, I'm going to have to write about you and my sister mm. because that's who I'm living with." Yeah. What would we call it? Did you uh, did like did you fall back on alcohol or anything at no. any of these low points? How how do you no. not? Because a lot of people would like deal with the, the stress of a situation like this by. I made a conscious decision going through going through it that. If you drink alcohol, like and I, like I said, it was, I had a really hard time for the first year. Mm. But if you drink alcohol, you're going to escape all your problems for three, four, five, or six hours, right? And then the problem is when you wake up the next day, even worse. it's way worse. Yeah. And not only that, it's way worse for three or four days. Mm. So I sort of thought, right, I'll kick alcohol for touch and commit myself to doing what I've got to do. And at the back end of it, which was four years, I lost the taste for the alcohol. Hence, I don't drink anymore because I just don't like the taste of it. There's mm. no great hidden meeting like I used to drink so much when I was a young fellow. And I used to, you know, I used to have a good time and used to go out and have plenty to drink. But that's not the reason I don't drink anymore. It's just I don't like the taste. If you could Amazing. make alcohol taste like a strawberry milkshake, I'd be a <laughs> I'd be a drunk 24 hours a day, but as it turns out, you can't. Oh, that's good. So you got through that period with a clear head and very, very dense bones from all the calcium you were having. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, so, no, but no, I'll tell you what I do now, right, what? with the milk. I cut it in half. So what nowadays my drink of choice is half, I get the biggest glass I can get, half milk, half water, lots of ice. 
Oh, and that, that way, sounds dreadful. It's actually really good. <laughs> and the key thing is to have it cold. But that way you can drink, you know, you can, you, you're not drinking as much of milk. Because milk's, I don't think it's overly healthy for you. And I'm sure Fonterra doesn't want me to say this. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know. Jeez, you're an unusual guy. Was it around this time when you were living in the, the flat with these two other misunderstood blokes that you were you were eating, um, you had like a Nando's thing as well, you were eating Nando's every night of the week? Did I read that somewhere? I don't think so. You went you're, through a Nando's you're making, phase. You're, you're making this up as I go. Did we? Because it probably had those uh, espinadas. Ah, yes. I'll be, I, I am a creature of habit. Nando's is very good and very healthy. So, do, you know. do you think um, part of it is sort of like um, I don't know, like a, a like a Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg thing? You know how they wear the same clothes every day because it just takes a, a, a like a decision making out of their day. Like if you're eating Nando's every you day, you can't just... possibly put my name and those two in the same <laughs> sentence, <laughs> Jesus. But um, no, but you know what I mean. It's like a decision every day that's like well, no, suddenly... man. It's because look, I go to the same cafe most times because I like going there because they have food that I like. I ate Nando's. If I ate Nando's every night for God knows how long, it's because I like the taste of it, Ooh. as opposed to taking the decision-making process okay. away. <laughs> right. Like I'm, not, I'm just not that complex. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I think I think you are smarter than what you give yourself credit for. I'm, I, I sometimes wonder. Yeah. Then how do you um, how do you get back into the promotion game? Is this is this when you started Duco? I was no. promoting all the way through. And right. I was working on contract for a lot of people. I'd work. I'd do anything to get the money in. And one of the contracts I got was with uh, with Duco, and yet a guy called David Higgins, who I don't have much of an opinion on, and John McRae were there, and they p- were putting together the David Tour versus Shane Cameron fight. They didn't have any experience at the time right. in boxing specifically, but they had a nose. They definitely had a nose for uh, what made a good promotion. So I helped them put that together, and I charged them through the nose for it, and. Uh, and uh, help put them together, and it turned out to be very, very successful. Yeah, it was a phenomenal event. Yeah, the fight of the century. I've had, I had um, Shane Cameron on the podcast, and we yeah, talked he about, is a good guy. He's a great guy, and we talked about that fight in quite a bit of length. And uh, he's got so many regrets. He said it took seven years for him to get over that. I bet it did. Seven know? years. Seven years. Seven years before he realised, huh? I, I haven't thought about that all day today. Wow, but that's that's what that's what being in the boxing ring can do to people. You know, because that was Shane's whole life was boxing. And he built himself up along with his manager, Kenny Rainfield, as you have to do Mm. to be the alpha male of the country. And all of a sudden, there's another alpha male who realizes you might be a great white shark, but this boy over here is a killer whale. And mate, he's the top of the food chain. Yeah. And and I'm sure Shane's made peace with it since then. You know, yeah, he's, he's, was, and, and David are friends now. They've had a couple of tequila nights together, and yeah, and I'm really sure good. they've got but, great but things hey, to say. Do you do you feel? Um, oh, you, you probably don't. It's just business. But I mean, there were we talked about the interview that they did on a show called uh, Close Up at Seven with Sainzo. I remember and, it. Yeah, and there was like. It, it wasn't quality trash talk. It wasn't Conor McGregor no, style. It was, but it was high quality trash talk. Do you think you so? Know why? Because it was authentic. Mm. And it wasn't. And Shane was probably putting it on a bit, right? But Tua wasn't. Tua, I remember Shane and, 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 and giving David a hard time. And it was just Shane doing the best he could from a trash talk point of view. He's a high quality human being and a great guy. But David Tua. He wasn't trash talking. He did something like he, he he moved his neck around like that and made it crack. And he just looked, I think, at Shane and says, "I'm really going to hurt you." And thank that you for the about, opportunity. To that was about as authentic yeah, as yeah, it gets. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? You know, we don't talk. You know, we don't 
techs or nothing like that. You know, it's uh, it's strictly business. And uh, you know, when 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 you're preparing for a fight like this. Uh, Certainly no love lost. It is a serious I mean, look, even tonight, I mean, we had, we made separate arrangements for, for, for both camps. What's your pick? I want to stop this man inside the distance. David? Uh, respectfully, I believe this will be Shane's last fight. I'm really going to hurt you. Yeah. You know, and I just appreciate you for allowing me that opportunity. I really do. Is he going to hurt you, Shane? No, have I got anything to do with it? David Tua had never said anything like that in his entire career. And Kenny Rainsfield, who's a good mate of mine, I've known for 30 years, was manager of Shane, he really got under David's skin. And he was doing things which, as a promoter, you look at it and go, thanks, Kenny, you just did a great job. And, of course, that sold massively well, both at the venue down in Hamilton and uh, and on TV. Yeah, Shane, in our podcast, he talks about regrets he's got, and he conducted himself in a way that's not not him to his core. Yeah. do you feel a little bit guilty about that? Because I feel, I feel like you guys made him, made him, well, not made really. him sort of hype the fight. Because all you can do, right? At the end of the day, all these fighters make their own decisions as to what they do, mm. and all you can do is provide the platform. And Kenny, in particular, mm. Kenny really got—he'd been a promoter himself, and Kenny Rainsfield, who was Shane's manager, understood the need for promotion. And Kenny was a genuine tough guy as well. You know, he represented New Zealand uh, in the Commonwealth Games. I think he went to the Olympics as a wrestler. And one of the great stories about Kenny Rainsfield is that going back 10 years ago, and he's going to hate that I tell the story, but Kenny could hold himself well and account when it come to a street fight, right? Because he'd had all his background in wrestling. But he got into a fight with a guy in Ponsonby Road who was, wasn't, it was less a fight and more an altercation, which the other guy should never have started. But Kenny did something I've never heard anyone do and was the most painful thing of anything in anyone's life. He grabbed the guy by the hand, his thumb like that, and he snapped it down with a quick movement. So he broke the guy's <sighs> thumb. And I've thought about that on many of occasions as one, how do you think about doing that? And two, the pain and hurt that you are inflicting on someone yes. is beyond, beyond thought. It's like torture. Oh, mate, that's like medieval yeah. shit, you know. So Kenny was a, he was an interesting cat, and he's now chairman of the New Zealand Warriors. There you go. Amazing. So, yeah, so after the um, the fight of the century, the tour of the Cameron thing, um, that's when Duco started working with um, Joseph Parker. Yeah, and I you... started, they brought, they brought me into the company. Right. I owned half of it. Okay. And you, you guys did a phenomenal job with Joseph Parker. Like, mm. it, what? What? No. What <laughs> was that noise? No, no, all I can take it from is like um, I was on a top 40 radio station called The Edge and we'd never have a boxer on. Yeah. You guys um, presented us with Joe Parker. Well, I think we had him on as a favour for you because you're a nice guy and I like you. Yeah. And then he, he did a good job on the air and so then that relationship was formed. So yeah. you guys sort of made Joseph Parker like a well, mainstream household name in a fringe sport. All we did was provide the platform mm. and Joe took advantage of it. Don't forget, David Tua versus Lennox Lewis was the number one rating show of all time on television in New Zealand. Mm. So to say boxing was a fringe sport, I think is probably a bit of a stretch because, and I know it's not the All Blacks, right, but... Tua went to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. His rise was well documented in the New Zealand media. Mm. Then Shane Cameron came along and he was there and Joe was sort of the next alliteration of that standing on their shoulders to some degree. So, uh, But Joe definitely 
all you do is provide the platform. Mm. It's up to the individual athlete to take advantage of it. And yeah, yeah we, has, we hassled people and got them on where we had to get them on. And if they're no good, at, here's what my experience is this. Most of these guys, they start off not so good in the media. Some of them are born to it, right? But most of them aren't that good. But the more you throw them in, you can give them all the media training in the world. I'm not a big fan of it. The more you throw them in, the more you do it, the more comfortable they get, and you start to see the real person come yeah, out. And yeah. that's all we did with Joe was just keep throwing them in, throwing them in. Joe's got a lovely personality, and he's a genuinely good guy. You know, So when that starts to come out, it's quite amazing that he boxes for a living because deep down to be a boxer, you've got to have some angry shit going on. Yeah, he's not a savage, is he? I think deep down he still loves to fight. And anybody who loves to fight and what look, not everyone's gonna be Conor McGregor, right? Yeah, yeah. But in all boxes, good or bad, but the really, really good ones, what Conor McGregor's got going on the outside, a lot of these boxes have got going on, on the inside, they just don't show it. Because mm. mate, it is not a normal thing to do. Yeah. These are the gladiators, the modern gladiators. There's only about ten thousand, maybe fifteen thousand professional boxers in the world. And out of those 15,000, no more than 100 to 200 will make money out of it, and no more than 10 make the millions that you hear yeah. about. You know, So it's a very, very competitive sport, and it's, uh, it's very, very cutthroat. Was it? Yeah, I think it was. Liam's talking in the background. I'm pretty sure he's right. It was Judith Collins, who was Joe's auntie. Oh, the old National Party leader. Yeah. Really? Yeah, actually, you're right. Crusher Collins. My memory is terrible, right? Concussions. Oh, <laughs> I'm also of the opinion there's only so much your brain can yeah, hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes stuff comes in, and if it's going to stay there, something's got to go out yeah. to, to wrangle around. No, you're right, Liam. Judith Collins did ring me about and tell me about him. So then, yeah, he um, wasn't on your radar at that point? No. 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 And oh. look, this is a long time ago. Crikey, when did we first start promoting um, Joseph? 2010, maybe? That's like 12 years ago. Yeah. It just goes so fast. Mm. Where, now, when, what, was that, what was that groaning noise you made before when I, when I brought up Joseph Parker? Oh, just, Duco is not a period in my oh, okay. life that I want to talk too much about. I have zero, zero respect for the bloke I was in business for. I think it's fairly well known why we separated. And I don't particularly want to talk about him or the period that I was in there. And maybe we should edit that out. <laughs> we, 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 it's, I mean, it's a podcast. We can edit out anything you want. But Thank it you. seems, um, I mean, it seems like a, a sad in a way because you guys were incredibly successful together. And I hope maybe there will come a time, maybe there won't, where you can look back and reflect on that. But it's, yeah, it seems sad like um, uh, like Kevin, Kevin Barry and David Tua. Like it's another very, very successful relationship that had a terrible split. And it seems sad in a way that you can't, rescue anything from it at the end you guys were successful and I, I think you had the charisma of the operation and hmm. you, you you both brought different things to your partnership but as a partnership you and um david were very successful i can tell the way you're sitting here like i don't want to talk about it. one day i might one day i might serialize it you know and tell what really went on and why i separated one day and he shits himself for that one day when it comes i can promise you that Time heals, time heals a lot of wounds, so maybe there'll become a time where... You... No chance. Wow. Not ever. Not mm. ever. You don't want to get into any of... I mean, I've heard some rumours over the years about what happened. Well, but the rumours are probably true. Right. Mm. You shouldn't believe everything Everything you hear. Yeah. No, not well, always. And it's fair to say you shouldn't believe everything you hear. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, move on. Okay. So then, so after after Duco, that, I, I hope there comes a time where you can look back on on that period, um, uh, 
you know, with some sort of pleasure because, um, yeah, what you did was very, very successful. We did you some, deserve it. We did some okay things, you know, like yeah. Joe, the rise of Joe Parker. That was that was a lot. That was a lot of fun, mm. and seeing someone like Joe being successful. Also, the NRL Auckland Nines was, you know, that was. That's huge right. Work. I forgot about the NRL Nines. Yeah, that was very successful, and uh, that was the very. That was probably the most gratifying thing for me because we got to bring rugby league. You know, to Auckland, and it was a real great celebration of rugby league. Mm. And the Auckland rugby league community got to come together, and you know, we we got NRL players out into the clubs, and it was really cool. Mm. That was very cool. Being from a league background, so then, so then, um, post Duco, you you go to Australia. Yep. Well, when we had the split, I went with Jeff Horn, who we Australian uh, fighter, Australian yeah. boxer, welterweight, and the zenith of Jeff Horn was to fight Manny Pacquiao at Suncorp Stadium, and he beat Manny. It was 51,000 people turned up for that event, and it's probably the signature event in boxing in Australia even to today. Mm. Um, Manny Pacco, a little, little uh, Filipino, used to be the president of the Philippines. He ran for president. Ran for president. But Manny was an all, uh, one of the all-time great stars of the game, and he fought against a guy called Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. And I think Manny's end of that fight was about $100 million. Bob Aram's end was about $50 million, and Floyd's was probably about $150 million, So they made some serious money out of that. So you were involved in negotiations for not, that not fight? For, not for that fight, yeah. but for the one in Brisbane that we did, yeah, we I did it from top to bottom. Manny was a lot of fun. Was he? A lot of fun. We, we did a bit of a He didn't eat dog tour. in Australia, did he? Uh, no, no, dogs. no. I don't. <laughs> Manny was one of the most generous men. Right. I've ne- Manny Pacquiao did shit I've never seen in my life. So he comes over uh, to do a promotional tour. No, he comes over for the fight. And I had to have a quarter of a million dollars in cash which was Manny money. And Manny money was to given out to all of the, the, the cohorts that had come over. So he hired a private plane and brought about 100 to 150 people with them all stayed in the hotel. Who? Like his entourage? Yes. Like all his so, friends. Manny Pacquiao, right? So how, how many staff? How many staff and oh, how many friends? I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. But what I, I had to have that quarter million dollars ready for him when he got there. And that was handed out. He brought to that event... See, every fighter gets an allocation to the fight nights and how much, you know, the tickets to give away. He brought $850,000 worth of tickets to that fight. <laughs> I kid you not. And so, and we had to give him a quarter of a million bucks as he got off the plane. It was all deducted off the purse and stuff right, like that. Right. So Manny had this progression of Filipinos coming in from all around Australia, which he's handing out money and tickets to to go to the fight and whatever. He's an, and generous. Like he'd be getting someone to shine his shoes at the airport and give him a hundred dollar US tip. Wow. Manny is the only boxer I've ever been out with who offers to pay for stuff, right? So we went out and had a dinner, and mate, he, it was a couple of grand, and there's a whole lot of people, and it was he, he's pulling money out of his pocket to pay. And I'm going, Manny, you don't have to do this, you know. Like it was, um, but Manny formed a friendship with a very, very unique character called Jim Bannigan. Jim's a very good friend of mine. And I don't know how to describe Jim. He's an Australian agent, player, manager. He's been a very good friend to me, a very good friend. But he is one unique individual. And Jim is the guy in life that you can equally hate and love at the same time because he will really <laughs> piss you off. I mean, piss you off with things you've never seen before. He was at the time quite an obese, overweight, white Australian male with great religious beliefs. And that's why... He's a Catholic, and that's why him and Manny, because the Filipinos are very, very religious and very Catholic. So him and Manny struck it off. But we went on this bit of a tour, and um, Manny made the mistake of giving Jim a bit of lip. Now, Manny Pacquiao, 
can give anyone lip in the world that he wants because he's Manny Pacquiao. So we're in a small bus going from place to place doing these promotional gigs. And Jim Bannigan turned around and looked at him and says, Manny Pacquiao, you can go and get fucked. <laughs> now, I promise you, in 25 years of Manny Pacquiao being who he is, he's never been told to get fucked in his entire life. Manny took one look at this fat, overweight, red-faced Australian telling him to get <laughs> fucked and what the things he's going to do, and he just cracked up laughing and fell on the floor of the bus, and he's never laughed so hard in his life. So you have you meet some interesting characters and you and interesting things happen along the way. But equally, that same guy Jim. Oh, this is typical Jim Bannigan, right? So I had Jim doing the media uh, on this Manny Pacquiao bloody tour, and I sent him into the Philippines where Manny lived uh, with a whole lot of media. Worked him quite hard, and Jimmy was under stress and pressure. So Jimmy had a stroke about three weeks before the fight. So I'm very concerned about Jim because people die from strokes. So I go in to see him one day. I've made a few phone calls. I'm going to see him at the hospital one day. And he's got his whole family's around him. And he looks up at me and says, this is your fucking fault. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just going, oh, Jimmy, you've just solved my problem about how I'm not going to hire you for the next fight because (laughs) that's just over the top. Yeah, But, you know, you you have your... You that some good yards. You meet some interesting people. Yeah. So financially, how are you now? Have you done, done quite well out of um, Duco and in Australia the last I mean, few years? Look. Why, why are again, you living with your mum and your sister? <laughs> I'm sort of in between places. Right. Now, look, we've done okay. Yeah. It hasn't been brilliant. We've done okay. I've got some land that I'm looking to develop up in Taupaki at the moment. But it's been, you know, it hasn't, because of the uh, the entrepreneurial ride that you take, man, I've had ups and downs all over the place. Mm. What's your relationship with money? Money like now? Are you, are you sort of neutral to to it? Or I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone likes would like to have a bit more of it, and um, and I've been very very lucky. I've some, had some amazing investors come along along the way and wanted to be part of the journey. So uh, I think the path going forward is going to be a lot smoother as a result. You know, we get a lot of advice off different people. Um, you'd like to be more successful than what you are, but at the end of the day, you know. Money is something that you should use to just help you get through life, and obviously you want to get ahead, right? But you know, as you get older, it becomes less and less of a focus, and mm. and, and you want to be spending time with more time with family and friends. But you also want to have that success, and in, in your financial side, to help you achieve that more and more. Mm. You know, but it seems like you you don't have an ego at all. <laughs> I think. Um, I think you've got to have an ego to get things done. Yeah. You know, like, no, but I, I, suppose, no ego. I suppose, like, an ego, like, um, you, when you when you went through that circus stuff and then, you know, you were, you were stripped back to beer basics, like, yeah. not even in the biggest room in the house. Yeah. You, 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 I suppose you learnt a lot about yourself then. And well, when you go what, through shitty times like that, your ego takes a bit of a hammering yeah, and you're not yeah. quite as good as you thought you were, you know? And, uh, but you look back at those times and if I could, look, I had, really good times in there it's just if you could do it without the stress and the pressure mm. you know the st- stress and pressure is one of the bitches of life mm. and um and uh along the way i've worked out that i suffer from anxiety up until probably five six years ago i didn't realize that i did but it's probably been a part of your life for a very very long time what do you mean what do, what do that look like for you um 
Like panic attacks? Or? No, 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 no. I, um, your gut's churning on yeah. a regular basis, worrying about how you're going to solve problems, overthinking things, thinking things over and over and over again. And it's only been the realisation that you do it. You go, oh, wow, okay, this is what sort of... I used to do some work for the Phobic Trust and they used to do some stuff around anxiety. And at the time, I didn't know what it was really all about. Mm. But now I do. And it's only with realisation that you, you, you suffer from it, you go, oh, okay, now we've got to work out how do you deal with this? And I think that's been, you know... And one of my pet things in life is I don't want to go through anxiety. Mm. And I think a lot of people do, and it's a, it's a shitty place to be because that feeling in your guts that you you just work to get rid of it. Yeah. Fortunately, there are time, I can actually, I think, I can identify why I get it. When you can identify why you get it, then you can help yourself get rid of it. What, but everybody's why, different. Well, yeah, what, why is it for you? Oh, all sorts of different yeah, reasons. Yeah. It could be anything. It could be, um, I don't know. Let's just say we're, we're going to announce a fight night and we haven't got a couple of guys signed up. You start thinking about it and go, you know, but all the thinking in the world doesn't necessarily solve the mm. problem if you're thinking the same shit over and over again. Yeah. I, I, I saw I, a therapist a couple, of, a couple of years ago and um, um, she asked me like about overthinking and doing that stuff and she yeah. said, uh, when you catch yourself doing it, you just got to pause and ask yourself, is this helpful? Yes. And it never is. But it's easier said than done to then just no. throw it in the back of the it's filing. It's taken me years to work it out. and It's taken me years to understand. I'm not sure I'm brilliant at getting rid of it, but it's taken me years to work out. Okay, how, I, When I get into work and attack problems one by one by one, the anxiety disappears and you get on with it, right? But it's when you've got that thinking time. And, and and the worst time, and this is I think this goes for everyone, is when you wake up at say, 2 or 3 in the morning. <laughs> As you get older and you're going to start suffering this, for whatever reason, older blokes get up at 2 or 3 in the morning to have a piss. I don't know why it is, but they do. And if you can't get back to sleep, that's when it's at its worst. You know, and I've talked to a lot of my mates about it, and they're all the same. You know, it's funny you say that. That was, that was legit going to be the next question I ask you, like, how do you sleep at night? Yeah, well, most Amazing. I get <laughs> I go to bed early, right? I'm What's early, up, like 9, 10? Earlier. 8.30, 9. Does your mum make you? No, <laughs> I quite like it. I'm, I'm in bed before me mum. That's yeah. truly tragic. Hey, why are you just exhausted at the end of the day, or is it just uh, a, a, yeah. an old routine? It's I've always been mm. to bed early, you know, and uh, I always get up early. And if you get up early, you you want to go to bed early. Mm. So, but yeah, I've, but I do watch a lot of Netflix, and I have seen The Big Bang Theory at least five times, maybe six <laughs> every single episode. But when you, um, I suppose a lot, of, a lot of your work, at least from an outsider's perspective, is being on the phone. If you get up early, what are you doing for those hours when you can't ring people? Um, the first thing I do is go and have breakfast. That's all. And then you sort of start your day at 8.39 mm. if you can, and then you're away, mm. you know, and... Yeah, so I, I like to try and finish. Like you, you try and do nine to five, but that's not how. Like, yeah, I get told all the time that I'm on the phone all the weekend, and you get you're all on the phone all sorts of different times. And one of the things you as you get older, I think you try and be more present in what you're doing, rather than being on a phone call or being a hundred miles away or thinking about something else. Try and be present in the moment because that moment ain't coming back. Mm. You don't have your family or friends or whatever you're doing be in that moment because that's important yeah and what's the rest of your um, life or career going to look like you're, you're never going to retire are you what are you now 57 57 you, I, you, you, I, you'll be one of these people that keeps working won't you man you have to. I would rather not really yeah, really yeah. what would you do what would retirement look like um Retirement would look different to what I do now, yeah. right? But you know, I would like to have my build my Airbnb up in Taupaki, 
and have people from around the world come and stay there and then six months of the year go off and do what you got to do, you know, whether it be Gold Coast, whether it be going to the States, whether it be going to England, hanging out, you know, hanging out with friends and family, in particular we've got Liam over here, you know, we used to do a lot of travelling. I'd like to get back to that. But at the moment we've got to, you know, we've just finished up in Australia, we've got to rebuild our business back here and, mate, there's another, you know, fight to be had literally and figuratively and we're, we're slow to get in there you know mm. so um yeah is your relationship with your, your son one of the things you'd say you're most proud of in your life oh yeah yeah it's the number one priority i mean he's been sitting here he's a grown-ass man but he's been sitting here watching this whole interview and i think that says a lot about a lot about you as a person and a lot about the relationship that you well, guys have together liam uh, listens to more podcasts than any man I know, so it would be remiss of me not to bring him down to see how they're made. <laughs> yeah, he's seen hundreds of them. Yeah, but it's it's a podcast, but it's still listening to your old man talk shit for <laughs> an hour and a quarter. <laughs> well, there's no, there's no, there's nothing I've said that he hasn't heard before. Yeah, right, right. Well, that's cool. Well, you've always had a real close relationship with him. As, as I said, you used to come on my radio show and give him a shout-out. That was the first thing you did, and the fact that you're in business together now and still incredibly close. I think that says a lot. Not every not every father and son relationship is like that. No, they're not. And I'm sure I drive him mental mm. quite often, and I'm sure there's a number of times when he wants to headbutt me. And to be fair, he would probably be quite right in doing so. Like Liam's managed to see things in our business that I haven't seen, and he's given me advice at times that I haven't taken. And I need to listen closer because mm. he's got some great ideas yeah. and he understands the macro part of our business, you know. Mm. So there's a lot of things we do now because of the, his suggestions. Yeah, also, yeah, 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 I suppose young ideas, fresh ideas, different perspectives. Oh, big time. And yeah. he, he really, really understands this game because, mate, he watches and loves the fights that we do and mm. he loves UFC and he, he understands media. So, you know, it's a pretty good it's a, it's a pretty good ground. Yeah. And he's been around it all his life. Christ, i got photographs of Liam when he was five or six when I'm fighting and he's in the corner with a sign that says, go dad. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, how cool. Yeah. What about you personally? Do you, you hope to find the one? Do you believe in soulmates? <laughs> I'm not holding me breath. I've managed, <laughs> managed to get to 57 years and haven't quite, you know, got there yet. So Yeah, I, actually I was talking you know. to... Uh, um, I just turned 50 the other week. I've got a mate who's a similar age, and he yeah. broke up with How his. long have you been single for now? Oh, four or five years. Oh, I've been seeing I've been seeing a single lady for the past year. Right. But me and JJ, we broke up about five years ago. Is but, that your first marriage? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've got a mate that broke up a, with his wife a similar time, and he's he said the thing that he's worried about is like getting like set in his ways now, because he quite enjoys being single now. Yeah. And just being able to do as he pleases, when he pleases. But I, yeah. you, like, you're a great guy and you've got a lot to offer someone. And I feel like you've learned a lot about yourself as you've yeah. evolved. You, you, it sounds you wanna... like you might want to give me one, Dom. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, but, but like, do you, like, are you on any apps or anything or no? No. 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 So no. you'd, you'd, you'd want to meet someone organically, like yeah, have the bar shatter a pint of milk? I don't think about it too often. Yeah. You know, like if these things, if they happen, they happen. If they don't, they don't. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. And you just get on. And at the moment, I've got other priorities. And the priority is I've got to, we just, we're coming back into New Zealand. We've got to reestablish ourselves back here. We've got a whole lot of good ideas, and we just got to bed them in and get them done. And most importantly, we've got some fighters signed to us who are very, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And we, they deserve to have a platform. Yeah, these guys are seriously, seriously talented. So uh, we've just got to uh, provide the platform for them to do what they do best. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you back in New Zealand. It's and good to be here, man. I've got to tell you, like when you're overseas, Australia is a very, very tough place to do business. Is it if you're a Kiwi or for anyone? Oh, for anyone. 
like a lot of people would say, it's one of the hardest markets. Between that and China, is the hardest markets in the world to crack. Mm. And uh, it's it's nice being home with family and friends and what have you. You can go and see on a regular basis. You know, you run into people in the street and stuff, which is because you yeah. haven't lived there all your life. It doesn't happen in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, back here, you, you run into your mum and your sister every time you go home. And how good is that? <laughs> how good is that? Yeah, that's going to be. I've got to tell you this, man. When I was 21, the last thing I would have thought I'd be doing is saying, I love living with my mum and my sister. But I do. And I love, I tell you what else I love doing. I love going down to Waiheke on the weekends and living and 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 staying at my dad's place at Rocky Bay, you know. Mm. So, little things in life, man. It's cool. You're quite family orientated, aren't you? As you get older, you be you know you yeah, realise how important it is. Yeah, but it, often as you get older, you realise how it's important it is. But it's like if you had if you didn't have the relationship with your, your son all the way through, and you decide yeah. now it's important. Oh no, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you need to do the work all oh, the way through. Yeah, I'm talking about extended family, okay. but even extended family when we were young. We used to all go to Waikiki Island for Christmas, you know, like, and you'd be there for six weeks and you had six or different eight branches of the family there and you'd hang out together on a regular basis and you don't realise, you just think it's normal, right? You don't realise how special that is until you actually, you get older and other people don't get to do that sort of stuff, mm. you know. My mum and dad, they had, they built their first house in, in Massey. They built a bloody, they brought a section and built a house or built a batch down at Waikiki and we've had this lifelong affiliation with with Waiheke and Rocky Bay, you know, which yeah. goes right back to my grandparents who in the 30s built a place in Rocky Bay. And back then, they have to do like a one-and-a-half-hour trip on a tram or a bus to get to the downtown. Then the ferry was another sort of two hours. And they used to catch a milk cart from bloody the Rocky Bay store up to their place, you know. So it was five or six hours to get down there. And they had six kids in tow. So uh, it's amazing how times change, you know. And, and Jeez, that would have been your dream, being on the milk truck. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Get to a the fair destination. Point. I don't Man, know where all the milk's gone. Would you believe this? You know, <laughs> sections back then, when I was maybe 22, 23, I had the opportunity to buy sections mm. for $5,000 a section. Those same sections are half a million bucks now. It's quite amazing with the mm. passing of time, you know. But you got no regrets about... About your financial decisions or anything? Uh, yeah, financial decisions, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because if you could change three or four fundamental decisions along the way, life would be a lot easier. But at the end of the day, you can't change it, so you can't mm. think too much about it. The best you can think you can do, I think, is learn from the, learn mm. learn from your mistakes. Unfortunately, wise people learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. I've been, I have to learn from my own. So uh, you know, for, hopefully, we've learned all the mistakes from the mistakes we've made and we can implement and go well. But I feel like you're, you're living with your mum and your sister by choice, though. It's not like a financial decision. No, to be bluntly honest, if I wanted to live elsewhere, I probably could. <laughs> for Christ's sake, don't tell them that. <laughs> they can't see this podcast. <laughs> hey, mate, it's been wonderful sitting down with you today. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and your stories. It's all right, brother. And, and it's wonderful to be here and it's great to see you're out having a crack by yourself and Fingers crossed you get, you know, you get up to a couple of hundred thousand listeners a show and you can sell it off for millions of dollars just like Joe Rogan did. It's it's fucking terrifying doing something on your own. I mean, this is new to me, but you've been doing it for decades now. But see, what's really interesting for you is this is not new to you. You've been doing this exact thing for 30 years. This is just an extension of what you've done. The only thing you're doing differently is you don't have the guaranteed income and you've got to get out and sell it yourself. And look, you know, Dom, I'm sure you're going to end up doing this you'll be the biggest podcast in the country very very quickly you've only done what 56 57 eps yeah just a year on a year that's incredible man what yeah. are you doing one a week yeah one per week i think 
I think Joe Rogan does three a week. Three per week. I'd love to build up to that level. The um, thing's been set. He's done something like 1,935 eps or something because I've become quite a follower mm. of him. He's really impressive. Oh, it's incredible. And you look back to the early stuff. Like He was doing this 10 years ago. So he's like an overnight sensation that yeah. spent years and years grafting away. And he probably did it just because he loved doing it. Mm. 100%. You know? Yeah, there were no financial reward in the first however many years. Which is, I guess, why you're doing this. Is Yeah, of course you want financial recompense, but you actually like doing what you do. Yeah. And you're good at it. And, you know, ca- some of the interviews you've done... Like Mike King, I thought was outstanding. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, there's been, been some been some really really good ones, and uh, it's getting easier and easier to, to get good people on. the The issue that I have to get over is um, I've always um, associated success with money, right? And I need to somehow split those two apart and realise that they're, they're not always hand in hand. So no. I've had more feedback about this podcast I'm doing than what I had in the last few years of radio. So it's like, I know I'm onto a good thing. That's because when um, when you're doing short-form radio, like you have, what, a three-minute talk break? Yeah. There's not much you can do. You know, it's like short hits, try and be funny, get mm. in and get out. And you don't really get to talk in depth like we're doing now. Oh, 100%. Like if we had you in for a chat, it would be get Dean in, talk about how he drinks milk, get your skull a pint, and then send you on your way. Yeah, pretty much. You know, we wouldn't get to we wouldn't get to dig through the surface and find out that you're living with your mum. What's really fascinating, right, is that what's really fascinating with social media, it's all about short clips, yeah. 15, 30 seconds. If you want to get cut through, get in and get out. But Joe Rogan has shown that long form media has got a real place, mm. and that's what you you know you're starting to get into, which is totally opposite to what you've done all your life. Yeah, which is pretty. Interesting. That's enjoyable too. It's enjoyable. And I can't thank you enough for coming and being so generous with your time today. Great to have you back in New Zealand. And uh, those boxes that you mentioned at the beginning, I look forward to um, hearing more about them. Mir Motu, Andre Mikhailovich, Jerome Pampalone, and of course, Jaya Bataya, who's the current IBF Cruiserweight Champion of the World. They're all very, very special in their own way, and they can really fight and look out, look out for them on the way through because they're about to do some cool stuff. Jaya Bataya sounds like a made-up name. It's too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, the Opa tires, I think, come from West Auckland originally. Oh, he's, so? he's been over there for a couple of generations. But, mm. yeah, he's a, he's something very, very mm. special. All right. And so are you, Dean Lonigan. Thanks yeah, for your you're time. A good man. Hey, thanks very much for making it all the way through. Really hope you liked that conversation with Dean Lonigan. If you like what you hear, please give this podcast a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice or write a review if the app allows. But above and beyond all of that, If you could click the subscribe button on your app, that would be incredible. The download numbers are growing constantly, which is awesome, but less than a quarter of listeners to this podcast actually subscribe. So go on, do it. It's free. You might as well. Go on. Then you'll never miss an episode. Finally, thanks again to the sponsors of this episode, the legends at Radix Nutrition, made in the Waikato and shipped anywhere in the world. I've been a fan of Radix Nutrition products for well over a year now, and I know that if you try them out, you'll be a convert too. RadixNutrition.co.nz. That's R-A-D-I-X. Okay, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you being here and hope to see you next time on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.